Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We are coming up on spring, so I'm excited. I saw the sun this week. I know. It has been so nice. There were actually, there was a day I ran outside in a sports bra and shorts, which, I mean, granted, like every spring I do that, the second it's above, you know, say 35 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm like, ah, summer's here. Yes. Do you think it opens up more movement options? That's actually a tough call because I think we're actually going to hit a month of constraints as everything like is just kind of boggy and wet and the trails are sort of unrideable. Yeah, it's a tough one. Shoulder season's tough. Definitely, that's sort of the frustration of being in Ontario. Um, I almost said unterrible, but there you go. (laughs) I said it. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, it's tricky in that transition from winter to spring because you're, you know, you're challenged. It's really cold sometimes, but then there's no snow. And the, you know, if there's good snow, then you can ski and you can do all this other stuff. But when that stuff sort of goes away, but then it's still not, you know, safe or, or tolerable to be outside, it could be tough. You know what? As long as there's sunshine, I'm a happy camper. That's hmm. really all I have to say about that. Very good. Well, we have a, an interesting episode here, I think. We're going to rehash one of our first episodes we did. This is over five years ago was a interview with Molly. I interviewed her. We were starting out in this podcasting world, what it looked like five years ago. A tiny log cabin in Big Bear, yes, California. At <laughs> yes, imagine that. And we, we did an interview. So just sort of introducing uh, you, the listener, to Molly Herford. And we had a couple of listener questions. And we had some questions that I had for Molly and some sort of just sort of, you know, get to know Molly questions. So we thought, you know, we had just recently we did one with the reverse where Molly interviewed me. And so I've surveyed the listeners again. Hopefully you got questions in. We can always do more on Q&As and stuff. But we got a few good questions, I think. I pulled out some of the questions I asked you five years ago. And then, of course, you've given me your own questions you want to answer as well. So <laughs> you need to, you need to, what is that called? That's like not a filibuster, but that's, you know, you're sort of, you know, doing the interview you want to do, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It is your show. So well, why are we doing this, I guess? That's my first question for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Pass the buck. Uh, well, so first of all, like you said, uh, we have been doing this podcast for five years, and we're actually coming up on the like one-year anniversary of when we shifted sort of all of our stuff over to Consummate Athlete. So right. when we first started the podcast, it was totally this side project. I had you know, been running the Outdoor Edit, where I had all of my articles and blogs and all that stuff. I was writing books at the time. I kind of really just started my author career at that point. Uh, Peter was running Smart Athlete, his coaching business. And I think we really just kind of wanted to have this almost like side project we were doing that wasn't attached to anything else we were doing because we didn't really know where it was going to go. Right. Uh, you know, four years in, we were pretty stoked on where it went. We'd been, you know, coaching camps and clinics together. And, you know, our content was starting to kind of overlap a lot. So it kind of seemed silly to have three different websites to maintain and you that know. might have been the main motivator yeah just reducing <laughs> the number of domains yeah exactly uh so yeah so we did that and then so that's a year ago 
And then within this time period, we've also been part of the Wide Angle Podium. So some of you may have noticed that we're no longer part of the Wide Angle Podium. It's completely amicable. We're still friends. Uh, still love all of their shows. Yes, Bill just They're had awesome a great, dudes. great episode. If you didn't listen to the most recent one, it was great. It was around sort of this like sponsorship and the world of being an agent. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, we've left the Wide Angle. So if you are a donor, you may want to shift your donations to other Wide Angle shows or come on over and you can always, every post we have, we'll have a way to sort of support the show. It's usually getting one of Molly's re- le- recent books, using an Amazon link, uh, and the good training with plans, the coaching, <laughs> consult. And then what else do we have for supporting? Oh, uh, I'm just like simply sharing it, you know, sharing it on Twitter that you liked an episode or, or telling a friend about podcasting. And, you know, it's always the, like some people don't know how to podcast. So if you help them with how to how to play it, that's can be uh, a great way to support the show. Yes. And of course, leaving ratings and reviews always right. extremely helpful. Uh, so, yeah, let's hit me. So that let's... was the main. That's all our. Our, That's our, our housekeeping. housekeeping. Yeah, and we're we're into the why, which is good. So I thought, you know, one of the first questions we had is, you know, who are you? How do you define yourself? We have this to all our guests, you know, and how I usually phrase it is, what did the last sort of week of your, what did you do for the last week, right? It's because sometimes it's, you know, people are like marine biologists or something, and there's some of this like arbitrary thing where they tell us about, you know, their university and all this. Uh, people can find that out about you. I, I'm curious, like, what does a day, a week in the life? So let's go with the week. What does a week? What did you do last week? My like eight-year-old self really wishes I was a marine biologist and is now sort of bitter that you phrased it that way. Because <laughs> I remember being like every eight-year-old and thought marine biology would just mean like playing with dolphins all day. So naturally, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, anyway, a uh, week in the life. Um, a lot, a lot of writing. So much writing. Um, actually, this past week, I sort of had the inspiration for a new, I'll say, super top secret novel idea. So I've been putting pen to paper with that, uh, you know, in the morning, sort of before I turn on my actual like workday stuff. Um, of course, every morning I wake up, I do my yoga, my core, like 15 minutes out here and then have my breakfast, get my writing in, do my meditating. Uh, and then, yeah, lots, lots of articles lately, actually, like tons of tons of cycling stuff, which is really fun. Um, gotten to interview some really cool people in the past couple weeks. I'm, I'm just going to say a couple weeks because I want to be able to be like, and, you know, I casually interviewed Mariana Voss the other week, mm. uh, which was, you know, top, top highlight of 2021 so far. Uh, and then pretty much every day has a run involved at some point from, you know, anywhere from like 40 minutes to, you know, a couple hours. And uh, yeah, on Fridays, I, I teach our Zoom yoga session in the morning for consummate athlete coaching clients. And I guess actually, if you're, you know, if I'm thinking about like big changes in the last, since we started recording this podcast, uh, you know, before I, before, you know, back in 2016, I wasn't a yoga teacher. Now I am. So that's probably one of the, the bigger shifts, I guess. Uh, and I definitely wasn't a runner like I am now. Yes, you've moved to running. That's true. Uh, you know, what? one of the questions we're going to deal with is sort of how do we become you if I wanted your type of job writing. Uh, but I, I think maybe even more, like you mentioned, you wrote a lot of articles. You know, do you have an idea of like how many articles do you think you would write? Or, or how many you wrote last week? A lot? More than 10. Yes. Okay. More than 20. Depends on what we're qualifying as articles. Okay. So there's a fair bit, fair bit of right. Cause these are like 500 plus word usually. Uh, and then indeed you last week, I was actually concerned having been married to you and dating you. You said we've been dating, known each other for almost eight years. 
which I found surprising, but I'll believe <laughs> you. Um, but I actually have got to the point with you where you told me you had a book idea, and then the next morning there was a book that arrived via Amazon that looked like the book you were telling me you were about to write. And I was like, Molly, did you write a book overnight and get it published by Amazon and shipped overnight? And I was actually, I was joking sort of, but pretty serious. Um, so it turned out it was a book you were getting for like research for this new idea you have. It wasn't, you did not write the book. That <laughs> did not write the book overnight. But you did start. And I think that's like one of the areas I wanted to go with sort of, you're, you're pretty good Sometimes I begrudge this, but you're pretty good at writing down a goal you want to do, and then you you get it. And it's not always instant, like the dog goal I you set. I was just going to say, you the, know, there was resistance. The dog PowerPoint did, want, that I presented in the winter of 2016, right. I believe. So it took you four or five years to get one, uh, but you took steps uh, to wear your adversary down. And so what is, like, is can you pinpoint that to anything? Like, what? What's your process? Like you write this down on a, a, a vision board, a whiteboard, you know, a, a journal that you want to get a dog. Let's use the dog because that's a fun example. But this, you do this with books. You want to write Shred Girls, the series, and it was on a whiteboard and then it became a book eventually. But let's go with the dog. Like what is the process after that? Oh, man, that's – it's sort of a combination of like obsessive action and then like intelligent research I'd say like I've usually got like two avenues the dog is maybe not a great example of this because there was like a lot of just sort of waiting for you to be ready for us to be ready for this you know the situation to present itself where it made sense uh, I think a book is actually a really good example of this and I can also shift it to you know running a race or something too um I'm I'm one of those people who wants to get out of the gate at like a million miles an hour so I definitely have no problem starting stuff. Um, I would say like finishing stuff used to be more of an issue. Um, so I think I sort of run into like two lanes in tandem with each other. Like the one lane is just like the follow your passion and, you know, you have this book idea. Okay. I'm going to take, you know, an hour today and I'm just going to write out as much as I can. It's, you know, it might be a ridiculous outline. It might be just like a scene that I can't get out of my head. Um, I have uh, bathtub crayons that are up in the shower because I, I get a ton of ideas in the shower. So I've realized I need somewhere to write them down. So our shower walls sort of look like uh, The Shining with like red rum like written all over the place. Um, but sort of just that, that action, uh, which I think a lot of people miss because they get stuck in the other lane, the equally important lane, of planning and research uh you know so to to write a book you have to kind of like backtrack right it's okay a book is say sixty thousand words that's about the length of most nonfiction books okay so if i want to have a book out in a year from now that means i probably need to have a book done like written first draft wise in like five months so okay five months what does that look like word count wise either per week or per day okay so that's that's my like daily goal now. So that goes on to the, the planner for every day. Um, you know, so I, I break that stuff down like very obsessively. I check in with myself once a week, sort of all of that boring, boring-ish stuff, I guess. And you use an app called Todoist. I use an app called Todoist, yeah. And those are sort of like your daily tasks. So you would have like write 1,500 words yep. if that was the average daily count. Yeah, I end up showing this at a lot of like the – uh, girls camps that we've done, especially the ones we've done with Ellen Noble, like the ENCX quest. Um, I've shown all the girls this. So I have this app that lets me have daily tasks, but then also ta like tasks that are 
attached to a date. So any given day, I have about 10 tasks that just repeat daily. And then I have some tasks that repeat like once a week. And then I have tasks that I add in like on the days that they're actually due and need to get done. So appointments, articles that are due, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I find like being able to check that stuff off keeps me accountable. So yeah, it's, it's sort of the combination of letting myself do the action, but then also reining myself in on the, the planning. Um, and I've gone through phases where I've been really good at one or the other. And I'd say now I'm pretty decent at both of them for when it comes to actually getting stuff done. Although I'm really bad for like, okay, I finished writing this book. Like let's move on to the next book instead of doing a lot more of like the marketing stuff that I realize I should be doing. And you tend to tell people, like you sort of use that cliche of putting it out there a bit too, to sort of, because you're, you, you and I both are, if it's for someone else, it'll get done. Yeah. So sometimes do you, you use that with some of these things at least, right? That the, you try and like, promise something or get a job at least doing the thing and then it gets done that's yeah i'd say that's probably true although i did argue against this when i was on the canadian cycling podcast back in january um the editor matt pioro was interviewing me and he mentioned like oh you know like i'm nervous about putting it out on facebook and like getting that accountability and i was like matt no one actually cares what you put on facebook and that was not like a was huge slam so on cool. Matt out of nowhere, but just, you know, I just don't think that me putting a goal out on Facebook is really going to result in like 10 friends being like, Hey, did you write that draft? And like, if it did, those friends are kind of weird. And that's sort of like a strange thing to do to someone. So, well, and I guess a lot of people, probably the more likely result would be you get so overwhelmed by saying, you know, I'm going to win, you know, this big race or something. Right. And then you're so nervous on the day of that everyone's gonna think you you suck yeah when you don't do I'd it. say I tell yeah. the right people is maybe the the better way of putting that I don't necessarily like throw everything out on Instagram and like put that kind of stuff up on on the internet well, I, and you haven't had an agent certainly for very long but in the last couple of years you have had like a, a book agent who when you have an idea you know sort of helps get this out to try and get publishers to buy it so even she often knows at least that you have this idea that you're working on and then you guys have put dates together in that fashion a bit right like this is going to be done by this date so she can yeah and even that's me saying like i need a date like and make so i I have something i think ultimately we're all held to our own thing right but sometimes it is having that date whether it's on a thing or promising it to someone or you know telling someone you'll have it Mm -hmm. um yeah for sure i'm trying to think of similar like with athletics right a lot of our listeners are here for the the here for the, the sport, athletics, well, the not sport. the how to not write. Not necessarily track and field athletics, but um, yeah, you know, is it, you know, you're going to show up at a race ahead of time or you're going to like go get tested, you know, maybe like, with your coach or something. Like I'm trying to think of other similar things that might be like an early, I always find testing is good for that because it's like a due date. And so I try and sure. really like push that, like you show up and you do what you can. I think what I can kind of relate to with this as far as athletics go is, I've been coached by different people over the years. I've tried coaching myself. Um, and I'd say in the past two years, it's probably the most consistent I've been with training and with like actually following my coach's plan for the most part. Apologies for the times that I don't or the times where I'm like, yep, I'm on a training camp. So I'm going to be doing a billion hours on the bike instead of focusing on running. Um, but working with a coach and having actually a Google spreadsheet instead of a training peaks or a Strava or anything like that has actually been hugely helpful for me because I I need to be able to check something off. I need to be able to say that I've done something, 
but I never liked using Training Peaks or uploading files. Like that was always such a hurdle for me. And like half the time I'd forget to bring my watch or, you know, forget to charge my watch or any of those things. So I would end up feeling really frustrated with myself, even if I did the workout and I couldn't upload the data. So I think for me, finding a way of holding myself accountable to my training plan but like in a way that felt natural and like good for me was huge. Like some people love uploading their stuff to Training Peaks. They have like all the automatic stuff set up and it's fantastic. Some people love, you know, keeping a food log. Some, you know, everyone has like a different sure. thing that they can do and find like works for them. So I think like having found my like modality of recording my training has kept me on like a smarter training path. I wonder how much of that was you switching to running instead of biking versus that anything helped. to do with a spreadsheet or training peaks. Not that I'm defending training peaks, but you know, there's check marks in both cases, but well, and it's a lot harder to do training on the bike in a spreadsheet for sure. Like, you, you know, at some point the data matters. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a different animal. Well, and it's ultimately, it's still an app, right? And you're opening it. Like it's not, mm -hmm. I don't know if that was the thing. It could be, could be the thing. I'm willing to believe it's the thing, but um, okay, random question. How many books have you read this this week? This week? <laughs> uh, one, two, three, four, I don't know, like seven, six, seven? I mean, while you're thinking, uh, for context, I've started reading the Harry Potter series to sort of calm myself down during the, the world we're living in. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a break. So I started ahead of Christmas, November. And I think Molly read it twice, the whole series. I'm on book six of eight. Six, yeah. Six of eight. So I'm, I'm getting there. But this is many months. I'm doing actually pretty well, I think. You know, this is not, doing great. not that many months. We're on, you know, four or five months maybe. Uh, but yeah, Molly has lapped me <laughs> several times. Plus, those are not her main reading. That's just so that when I am oh, reading sorry. Something. Apologies to Harry Potter fans. It's seven books. You're on five of seven. Just wanted to like... Uh, so I just didn't want to get screaming. some angry. Someone screaming. Yeah. Okay. So have you calculated the number of books? Yeah. I think it's like between six and seven. Uh, to be fair, a couple of them are like young adult novels because I've gotten really into this one random series. Um, so I had to read a bunch of them, but they are really long. Actually, they're like Harry Potter length. Uh, I'm an excessively fast reader though. Like this is just a weird genetic for sure. I mean, you also practice reading, and you've. I do practice. I mean, you reading. had a disposition like when you were young, you would like hide in corners and read. Yeah, so I it, still do that. So it was like a hobby, and like maybe some like self-soothing or like comfort type stuff. Uh, but whereas some kids might sit in front of the TV or you know play hockey or whatever they do, that was what you practice. So I mean, I, I know there's probably a genetic. Maybe you have really good eyesight and stuff, so there's probably something to that. But um, so that's. You do read a lot. I do so read this a is lot. A piece too, I think, with this question of like, how do people become? You know, part of your advantage is you also can read an article or read a source book or something. And I'm still trying to get like the the cover open, trying to figure out how the book opens. And have been doing so for like 20 years now. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there's not a lot of takeaways there for the listeners. Sorry. But... <laughs> Apologies. Like, I wish there was a speed reading course right. that I could like recommend, no. but yeah. Okay, uh, this is a, another question from our listener. This is a smaller female who is having trouble with heart rate monitor straps not reading. Uh, where would you go with that? 
Ooh, I like this. Um, okay, well, the the first thing is really just like generic heart rate strap. Uh, troubleshooting. Troubleshooting, yeah. So uh, I find a lot of the times, uh, especially with, with females, there is a chance that it's just in an awkward spot that's like your bra is actually coming down under it or like interfering with that's it. That's what you had mentioned to me was like maybe it's A, just check it's not over top of the bra, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. And I've seen that with over the straps of the bib shorts yeah, yeah. or people over don't it. realize that it's like those are sensors yeah. yeah uh and the other thing is just wetting it um i think a lot of people kind of casually skip that step sort of assuming that they'll get sweaty but especially in you know cooler months if you're talking about like fat biking you're running outdoors right now like you could easily go a whole run and not connection. sweat enough to get a connection uh so yeah making sure it's a little wet there are also i would say you know if I think about it, like the old Garmin straps, like the old school ones that would come with the watches that are like, hard they're a strap. foot long hard strap of yeah. like plastic. So that's going to fit really awkwardly on someone who's a smaller person or especially if you have kind of that divot but like between your ribs, sure. um, like a slight depressed sternum almost, like you're kind of missing the, the main connector there. Uh, so some of the softer straps, like the Wahoo strap, the Polar strap, um, a lot of them now are actually made with softer stuff. So just maybe looking for a different heart rate strap. Um, those would be sort of my big things. I know you've had some success with the wearing it on the back instead of on the front. Some people have that. I don't know if it's because it's like when they lean forward or they're tiny people or whatever. But yeah, that was an old trick. That was more to avoid the like wind flapping with those hard straps. Like the vests coming mm. down hills would make the heart rate go crazy on the hard straps. Huh. So less of an issue now, but that's that. And then I think, you know, you, you, I think we're coming to a point where some of the wrist wearables are better. The, the smaller person's wrist may not, but there's like the wrist, there's some people like the armband too. You um, know what? So I mean, I think it's one of those, I, I'm not big on them either. I know, but the, like, if it's a difference between it reading and not reading or getting worn or not getting worn, like some of the wrist straps, at least the, especially with younger people, like at least they'll wear them. Yeah, no, I would say my my Garmin Forerunner like one twenty five, like the cheap Garmin Forerunner. Uh, I would say the heart rate is actually pretty close. Like, I mean, it's you know within a few beats because I've worn a heart rate strap and like compared the data as I ran. Right. And I would say it was pretty close most of the time. Like, you're not gonna have perfect data with it, but you know, I would say for most of us, that's probably good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's I guess the debate for sure. Uh, and there isn't too much else that I can think of with that, but that's, that's good. That was a sort of random practical question. I there like it. Go. Uh, the second most interesting thing that you've learned in an interview in whatever period of time you want second most second interesting? Second most interesting. Like learned from someone or like? Yeah, you're interviewing someone. Oh. So you got to think of the first thing and then throw, yeah, throw it out and then get the next thing. Okay, actually, yeah, this is fairly, this is fairly easy because I it was kind of, it's been in my mind a lot the past couple of weeks. Um, I'd say when I was interviewing Mariana Voss, I asked her about if she was really excited for the new women's Perry Roubaix, and I thought I was going to get sort of a generic, you know, pro cyclist answer of like, yes, I'm very excited about it. Like it's great that you know these races are finally supporting women. Uh, you know, Mariana was instrumental in adding La Course to the Tour de France a few years ago. Uh, so I was sort of expecting that kind of answer. And what she said to me was, you know, yes, it's it's a great thing. But I also, you know, want to point out there are a lot of women's races 
like just for women that have been doing a fantastic job for like over a decade and to give all of this credit and like media and everything to these races that are just now bringing in women's races like is kind of unfair to the organizers who've been doing this great thing for women's cycling for so long. Uh, so that just got me really thinking about, you know, we get really excited about these new shiny things and for sure it's a great advancement. It's really important, but we should also kind of applaud the people who've been working in the background sort of tirelessly for a long time. Uh, and I mean, you know, in, even in Canadian mountain biking, we keep kind of coming back to, uh, you and I have said like, if we could pick one person to go to the Olympics for Canada, like Sandra Walter, like she has put in so many amazing years in mountain biking and like is so deserving, but often gets kind of overshadowed by the fact that Canada has amazing, like a lot of really, really good women mm-hmm. mountain bikers. So I think, well, yeah. she keeps progressing is why I, like, I mean, yeah. Sandra's just an awesome person, but yeah, I think I'm always impressed. I'm like, she got better again. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I think like looking for, I think the most interest or second most interesting thing was to kind of keep looking for those people who've been doing the thing for a long time and giving them some respect where respect is due. Hmm. Yeah. That's probably good to think about in a lot of different industries. Okay. Keep on the interview. I mean, a lot of what you do, you do a lot of things. And I think people are often, you know, a little disoriented by the fact that you're yoga teaching and then you're mountain bike you know, doing courses with me. And I was on a radio show in Edmonton where they tried to read my bio and it got to like 65 seconds. And I was like, could you just, you know what? Just, just stop. It's fine. I do a lot of stuff. So you, you write a lot, a lot of articles. And so what comes with that? I think that some people don't necessarily know, like you, you're able to, again, part of the reason you get these certifications stuff is so you can be the, the quote unquote expert. Um, and you know, Use, rather than having to go and get quotes for every single article, you could write like a, four yoga poses for running or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm wondering is in that direction, like who – we're going to go with interviews here as a couple different things. Who was is someone like the most nervous you've ever been? This might be because you were a noob or it might be because it was like someone really famous or something. Like what was an interview that just strikes as like you were just like beside yourself nervous? Uh, again, Mariana Voss a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you're pretty nervous for that <laughs> you one. You just never, you never really like let go of, you know, you have these heroes and she's definitely one of mine. Um, oh my gosh. So many. Like as a super shy kid, interviewing athletes has probably been like the scariest, like hardest thing for me to start doing, which is a very like funny thing to hear as someone in my line of work. But like, Holy crap. I remember the first cyclocross race I was ever covering was Grenoble cyclocross back in probably 2009, maybe 2010, 2009 or 2010. And having to talk to the winner and like get quotes and do the article. And like, I was already writing for cyclocross magazine, but I'd never really had to like interview someone in person. And I think there's actually, it's still somewhere on YouTube, I think, but like Justin Lindine won it. And that was the first time I'd ever spoken to him and interviewed him. And I remember being terrified because I was like, oh, my God, it's a pro racer. Like, this is such a huge deal. It's pretty nerve wracking. I had to do I mean, a bit of it. The funny sort of... part is, like, Justin ended up being one of my best friends right. like right. within two years of that. But I remember that terror. Well, I guess it's sort of that, you know, awkward conversations or the important conversations or something. 
okay, that's good. I'm, I was trying to think of ones that I remember you being really nervous about, but I'm sure uh, there are a lot because I get very nervous about interviewing people still. Like that doesn't really go away. What about most awkward place you've had to interview someone? Oh my Maybe gosh. Maybe you can't even say. But you don't have to say who it was, I guess. You could just say Oh, that. actually, no. Uh, 2013, King's Cross, Cincinnati. I had to interview Niels Albert in his trailer. And, like, I'd never been to, like, European cyclocross or anything like that. Niels was, I think, the reigning world champion at the time. Um, and, and White's Bosman's was there, too. But I remember, you know... North American cyclocross, we don't have trailers. We're lucky if we have a tent. (laughs) And then here I am, like, stepping into this, like, baller RV and just terrified. And then I got in, and I didn't know which one was Niels Albert because they were wearing casual clothes that I'd never seen them without the helmet on, and it hadn't occurred to me until I got in that it was going to be an issue. And then I was in there just like, oh, crap. So did you just sort of say the name and hope that someone responded? I just sort of, you know what I think I did? I think I like stuck my hand on. I was like, hi, I'm Molly. Uh, Good call. Yeah. Good call. Introduce yourself. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. And I was very excited. He remembered me several years later when I was acting as a a manager for a friend of mine who had to go to a meeting and he happened to be there. So one of the things that, I asked, or at least that you said in the first time I interviewed you back five years ago, was sort of what you were excited about doing, whether it was in the podcast or in work in the coming year. Uh, And one of the things you talked about was a sponsorship something. I don't even know if you said book or what you said, but you wanted to produce some content around sponsorship for athletes and, and maybe towards this idea of like, how do people become sports writers as well? Um, and so that was something you said five years ago. So in the meantime, or in the time, in the meantime, you've produced a book called Sponsorship for Athletes. Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. It's yellow. It's on Amazon. And you've also recently, just in this past year, done a course, right? And that's on, uh, I am blanking on the name it's of the social media. It's over on theprokit.com. The, Pro-Kit, the social media network for athletes. And so, yeah, there's a course there as well. And I ran two classes on it this summer. like In in, person. Well, Well, not in person. Quote, unquote, in person. Yeah. Yeah. What was my word? Asynchronous. It's not asynchronous. But this new course is asynchronous. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Yeah. So I guess that actually might go back to that first question of uh, planning and execution. Uh, Mm -hmm. This one might have taken me a little bit longer, but uh, yeah. That that's happened. So I'm pretty... Well, what did you think was going to happen? Did you have a timeline or what was that... Because you had been talking about that, you know, again, you said you managed some cyclocross teams, you've been in a reporter, so you talked to the athletes, and you've, you've talked to the sponsors, and you've been an athlete, and you've traveled with athletes, so you had a lot of things, and it, it has been one of those things, like you say, that it was sort of like always on your mind. Yeah, kind of coming back to that obsessive action thing, like that's a thing, I think even that year I had kind of started the notes that would end up becoming the draft for that book, um, just out of sheer like I'd be at a race or we'd be at a camp or I'd be at something and an idea would sort of hit with it so instead of just kind of putting it in the back of my head or forgetting about it or like listing it in a journal or something I would just I had a word document that was just sponsorship book and I would just jot down sort of a a quick paragraph or two when the the spirit moved me and it just kind of gradually grew from there and with most of my book projects I would say I'm 
very casual about it till about like 25,000 words. And then when I hit the 25,000 word, like word count, that's sort of my tipping point of like, okay, this is a real book now. So I'm going to get this done. And I start going back and structuring and, you know, really focusing on getting it to its completion. So it took probably two years from that time to, so from 2016, it probably took me two years to get to 25,000 words. And then from that, I just kind of full steam ahead, uh, you know, got the book out. Because it was always sort of like a secondary or even tertiary. Uh, yeah, I wrote a lot of books between then. Because during that time, the Shred Girl series came to life, came to fruition, came out. Uh, the second edition of my Saddle Sore, Ride Comfortable, Ride Happy came out. Um, Feel Your Ride, my nutrition book had just come out. Uh, so yeah, that was sort of kind of simmering in the the background, and the Shred Girl stuff took up a lot of my time because it went from being a self published thing to like, oh, we have a publisher for it now, so a lot of changes had to happen there, and a lot of work had to go into that and second book and third book, etc. Hmm. The I'm trying to decide where to go from there. You have your your books. So many books. I always get lost when I'm trying to count and like tell people how many I've written. And then there's also the question of like, well, how many have you written that like in general versus how many have gotten published? Cause like right now I have two that are completely written that are just waiting for sort of like where they're going to go. Mm. That that's the direction I was thinking of going was thinking, you know, it's sometimes we get caught up with, you know, why would I, uh, it's almost like right now with COVID and the pandemic you know, why would I train if I don't know when the race is or what the race is or, right? And for you, it's, I think, similar, you know, when people ask, how do I become a writer? How do I become a journalist? Whatever the end goal is that, you know, the answer is fairly, like, you always f find it, like, somewhat frustrating because it's like, well, you need to write a lot first. And it can't be just because you want to get paid. Like, you have to, like, put in, you know, same as you would well, you want to race bikes really fast? Well, you need to start building up so you can ride about, you know, say three hours a day if you're going to be world class at least uh, on average. So no, the number of times someone says, like, how do I become a writer? And I say, do you write? They say no. Like, it's a lot of the times. And we actually talked about this the other week when you said, what would you do if everything just, like, was gone and you had to figure out a job oh, or yeah, whatever? Oh, yeah, we almost got in a fight. And I said, <laughs> I would become an elite dog runner, but I'd also immediately start For working cash. on it. First you needed cash. But yeah, then yeah. you were like, I'll still write. I was like, I'll and start. I was like, well, I no, would you wouldn't have to write. And you're like, but I would write because that's how I would make the money eventually. And I was like, oh. But also, that's just what I would do. Yeah. Like, I've right now, again, like writing writing novels is not a lucrative business. Like, let's just put that out there. Maybe you're going to get lucky and you're going to have a Harry Potter or Bridgerton or whatever, but like, your odds are not stacked in your favor on that. Like, I could make a lot more money like, writing article after article. Right. Compared and to, even that list of people is not not big. Right? No, right. Um, and it, yeah. So, I, but I keep writing novels. I have several like half finished ones that I'm like playing with. I have a couple that are done and are just sort of like waiting, you know, working away with my agent, and she's doing her thing with them. But it's not like I make a fortune on any of them, but I do it because I have to. Like that's it's not an option. Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe the first thing is like how do you, how do you get my job? Well, is it an option for you to do anything else? Because that might be a better job. <laughs> like that might be a better idea. When we had Dan John on, one of my favorite episodes we've done over the years, 
Uh, he talked about... <laughs> that would be the interview you were most nervous for. <laughs> yeah, him or Katie Bowman. I was pretty nervous for Katie Bowman. And, and that was a chance, early. Chance for having Katie Bowman back on, and I'm already nervous about it. But Dan John said that, you know, I was asking him, he's been doing this for so long, you know, doing the strength thing, and he's been writing books, and he's, you know, just, he's, I've been talking, you know, about anything Dan John says I have been talking about, you know, for quite a while, and love it all. Uh, and I asked him, you know, how do you stay in it? And he said, well, he's cheating. Because he basically because he really enjoys it, right? He had some good stories and asides about that, but like essentially the idea was that like he just really really enjoys strength training and training in general and health and fitness, and he's been reading, you know, the same way you have like cutouts. You just went through all your cutouts and cleaned them up a little bit, but you have all these cutouts from like health and fitness magazines from like when you were a kid. 1997, Women's Health. Right, right, and Dan John has a similar one of like 19, you know. I think it was like he's seven, a, he's seven, a little older 70s than and 80s of like muscle and whatever magazine, right? And so he can go back and he like will remember an article that was in 1979 Muscle Mag or something. And so it is sort of that finding, not necessarily you're finding your passion because I think there's a balance there. Um, but I would say your advantage is that you, it's not just that you're good at writing, but you've also, you're, you really enjoy it. I can't, like, there was never, I, I joked earlier about wanting to be a marine biologist, but I really just wanted to write about being a marine biologist. There's never been a point in time where I didn't want to be a writer. Like, that's... Is there a book coming about marine biology? Uh, there was, like, a tentative plan for one, <laughs> we'll say. Um, yeah, I... No, like even when I when I said I wanted to be a marine biologist, I remember going home and I could probably find it. My mom probably still has it. Like I wrote pages and pages in a notebook about what my life as a marine biologist would look like. I had a French braid and a lab coat. Um, hmm. There were dolphins, but that that was how I expressed it. Like, I, yeah, there's just never been a point where I didn't want to be a writer. There were a lot of points where I didn't want to be an athlete. Most of my, all of my childhood, um, but there's never been a time where I didn't want to be a writer. With Saddle Sore, it's been a few years since you last updated it. There's two updates, right? You, you, no? Just one update. The original was 2014, and then the update was 2016. Oh, so one, two books. Um, if you had to do another one, or when you do another one, do you have any idea, like, what a, would there be a, a, any chapters you would add, or, or any changes, or things that come to mind? I think saddle sore, awkward questions around cycling. Good question. I think actually what I'm really happy about, I do have an answer, but I think what I'm really happy about is I don't think that there needs to be an update for it because since 2016, when I came out with the last edition, so many outlets have actually finally started understanding the importance of talking about some of these awkward subjects and it's become much less taboo or much less weird to you know jump on twitter and be like hey i'm having numbness in my vulva when i'm riding and help right and inevitably i get forwarded a lot of these and i'm so excited about it um, but yeah i mean i think the nice thing is now there are resources out there now there are much there's many more conversations around it so i think that's really like heartening to see that said if i was to do it again um, I would actually probably have a lot more about sort of hormones and hormonal birth control in particular, because I think the one thing, and I've said this on the podcast before, the one thing that like I will stand on my soapbox and scream about, and it drives me crazy, is that we have all of this stuff around hormones and like female athletes and blah, 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 and all of it ignores the number of women who are on some kind of hormonal birth control, whether it is like the pill form, whether it's an IUD 
we just kind of leave them completely out of the conversation as just like hormonal birth control is bad, period. And that's like the last thing we say about it. Right. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. What are you going to do if that's your option? Like, And then right now everyone's on the timing your period stuff and what happens mm-hmm. at different phases, but then none of that research is dealing with anyone who has any sort of contraception. Exactly. Well, I shouldn't say any type, but any of the hormonal contraception. And it's a vast majority of female athletes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, grinds um, my gears. <laughs> okay, good. I wanted to touch in that sort of direction of IUDs, so we've we've done that. Good. Uh, is was that the hill you were willing to die on? No, the hill I'm willing to die on is that Chumbawamba was not a one-hit wonder band. Um, sorry, I just I needed a venue to say that one, so I asked you to ask me that question. Huh. Gets me really, really grumpy. I wonder how many people remember Chumbawamba. I don't know, but. <laughs> If you do, you might remember them from their tub thumping hit song. Well, what, what's the other song? They have so many other songs. Okay, but an, the question is like, there has to be a second song that was big, like the, the day the Nazi died. Like okay, they're an well, anarcho. This is what I'm talking about. Like they're a, like this awesome <laughs> anarcho punk band that were fantastic that happened to have this like one album that like went big and everyone just remembers them for I get knocked down, but they had a whole variety of awesome music before it. I wonder if many bands are like that anymore, where there's this whole, like, I don't know, Weezer or something like that. Even, like, Nirvana, which got really big, you know, around, the, I guess, sort of the same time, the 90s, right? Is that what we're talking about? 90s, early aughts? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe bands now don't have as much of that, like, early catalog. Yeah, that's probably true. Right? Like, the number of years till they hit it. Maybe, you know, now that it's, like, more YouTube- I don't know. Interesting question. Don't know the answer. I'm thinking through a few of the people I like. They have some stuff that's earlier that like they wouldn't necessarily play now at like bigger, bigger concerts. Imagine we had those. That yeah, would be yeah. great. Yeah. Be nice. Okay, oh, the well, other that's... the other hill I'm willing to die on is that everyone should immediately take off their shorts when they get in from a oh. ride. Um, just as far as the combining saddle sore question with the hill I'm willing to die on, um, it is the thing that I will continue to scream from the rooftops, etc. When you get done with your workout, please take off your shorts. Okay. I think that's a, a good mix of questions, a good update on where you are and then the books that you've had done, the things that you do. Hopefully we've answered the how we get your job question. Uh, there, yeah. Molly's previous answer will be in like that episode three. Yeah. Uh, approximate. Uh, if you go way back five years, uh, you can see what her answer was then. But I so. will also give a plug to the Athletes Guide to Sponsorship because if you just kind of read that as like becoming a writer, you can sort of see how a lot of it would apply, um, especially for people who are like, how do I write for outdoor magazines? Um, you know, a it's big part similar. of That's a big part of my answer yeah. is always like, how small can you start? Like, are you writing now? Start writing, and then what are the small places that are looking for work so you can actually start getting published? And yeah. I know it's very like untrendy to say you should do any work for free when you first start, but you know, I, I still believe that that's ultimately what you have to do to get your name out there at this point. Like, Well, you're trying to build a resume, right? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, we were talking about before you went on that it's, that would be, we knowing some of the news outlets that we know, again, start small, local newspapers count, local whatever, right? And it can be about you or a friend or an event or, and I think the other thing we talked about too that we didn't cover was just like, you're allowed to have the article written and then pitch. It's true. Yeah. If there's yeah. an article that you really want to write, 
I highly recommend writing it. Um, and then, you know, shop it around as much as you can, whether you're trying to actually get paid for it, whether you're trying to just get it published somewhere, do what you can. And if no one publishes it, publish it, like yeah. put it somewhere right so you now. you could do like medium or a blog. Medium or... blog, LinkedIn, Instagram, like what, yeah. I, there's so many places you can put it. Um, so don't be afraid to just write an article without a plan. I think that's actually like one of the best things I could say. And I mean, if you're lucky, someone picks it up and they have edits for you, that's great. But you know, the odds of you getting picked up just based on a pitch when you have no writing samples, it's pretty slim right now. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. That's, that's so there you that. Go. That's that. Uh, thank you all for listening this far. Yes, uh, thank you. We're always open to ideas. Uh, I'm appreciative of all your comments and feedback. And for sure, we'll see you the next episode with a new guest. Mm -hmm. Oh, and actually, I'm very excited. Uh, we have another guest coming up soon that's going to have a lot more embarrassing stories about me. So stay tuned for that. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.